0: Okay, if you have your scriptures with you, take them out to uh, uh, John chapter 13. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge every year at Christmas time, the Advent season, to find texts that speak to Christmas and uh, don't get worn out. It's very easy to read over the uh, Christmas narratives and just kind of skim over them because we hear them so often. And so each year I try to, to uh, go a little bit deeper into the scriptures and find things that. Uh, that speak, I believe, directly to Christmas, and yet, maybe not traditional Christmas readings. And so, in John chapter 13, we're going to read this section, uh, and it's printed in your bulletin, by the way, if you don't have your Bible with you. Uh, We do encourage you to bring your Bible, but if you don't have it, that's all right. The entire text is printed uh, in there, and I'll ask you to follow along. We're going to start reading uh, uh, in verse 12, and then we'll pick it up again in verse uh, 31. So, Uh, Now hear God's Word. When He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place, He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call Me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate his bread... Has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sends me. Verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, let a little time I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, Where I am, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. The Gospel of our Lord. As I've said uh, in weeks uh, week past, uh, it's easy for Christmas to come and kind of get all of us to get caught up in the Christmas season. And certainly for people that are not Christians, Christmas is just another holiday and you just kind of get involved and you go with it. And uh, little thought is actually given to what is the message of Christmas? What was all the fuss about? And why does the entire earth, think of this, the whole planet earth shuts down on Christmas Day? What exactly is really going on? And what is the impact that it's had, not only in the world, but in our lives as well? And last week I told you that the birth of Jesus marked a cosmic shift. I know that the world seems like it just kept going, but if you look at history and you look at what historians have said, there was indeed a cosmic shift. And the world has never been the same since the birth of Jesus. Christ. John Calvin said that his coming created what he calls an astonishing change of things. It was like a switch flipped and nothing was ever the same. Last week we talked about this trajectory. The trajectory of all of Scripture, all of Scripture, is from heaven to earth. From Genesis chapter 1 God hovers over the earth the spirit comes down God speaks into what was called the tohu bohu, the chaos the formless and void and God speaks his word the spirit hovers and from heaven to earth order comes creation comes and we see the same thing recapitulated or the same thing happening again at Jesus baptism over the chaos of this world god's spirit hovers and like a dove it descends upon jesus christ and a voice the first voice said let there be light and the second voice says here's the light the second voice says this is my beloved son in him i am well pleased and the power that drives that trajectory from that point forward the power that drives it is that Holy Spirit that descends upon Christ and then is dispelled into the world primarily through those of you who believe we are baptized with the Holy Spirit we are filled with God's Holy Spirit and so that power of the Holy Spirit becomes the movement the trajectory of his church us into the world, to serve the world, to bring light and hope and joy and gladness to the world, to the people around you, your family, your friends, your co-workers. Think of the darkness that we have in our world. And today is no different than any other time in history. Lots of darkness, lots of pain. So how does it look? What does that trajectory look? And that's what we're going to Talk about over the next few weeks. And I, I'm going to talk today about the change that the trajectory, the birth of Christ, Him coming into the world, has on our allegiance. Where our primary and ultimate allegiances are in our life. And we're going to look at a new heart, a new identity, and a new place to find your glory. New heart, new identity, and new glory. So let's take a look at the new heart. What is this new heart? that that comes into the world, what effect does it have? And Jesus does something remarkable in that He gives them an example of what the new heart looks like. Here's what it looks like. Look at verses uh, 12 and following. He washed their feet. He got dressed. He resumed His place. And He said, Do You understand what I've done to you. Now, at this point, you have to realize that The group there, these 12 men and whoever else is in the room, there are probably some women there, who knows, but but at least for the disciples, 12, including Judas, by the way, very interesting, Judas was there. Jesus does something unheard of, unknown. It would never have been, in fact, it would have been looked down upon. It was shocking and scandalous. He disrobed and got down into his, his undergarments and he wrapped a towel around himself and he went around and washed his disciples' feet. Now, this was, this was servant's work. This was a slave's work. And in fact, it caused such a stir that Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. He absolutely refused. And Jesus had to get very stern with him and say, you know what? If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Peter made light of it. It seems like uh, from the text, he says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. and You know, he's trying to... Because Jesus was very serious about what he was doing. This was important for them to see. Do you understand... What I've done to you. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and that's exactly what I am. He denies in no way that he is not only their their teacher, their master, but their Lord, their God, their King from heaven. He says, I am that. But if I, your Lord, your master, your teacher, if I do this to you, then you ought to do this to one another. Not the literal foot washing, but which is fine if you need I mean, in our modern day, we don't really need it. We wear shoes and socks. But the idea that you will go as low as necessary in your life to serve the world around you, starting with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, The church has a bad history by by the way. We end up ravaging one another. If somebody falls into sin, we don't usually wash their feet. What we do is kick them out of the church. Get thee out! You don't belong to us anymore. You didn't keep up the standards. And that's not Orthodox Christianity. That's evil. And so the church needs to be a place where we actually see one another as needing washing. Foot washing. We need a self-awareness, folks, of sin. This is what the trajectory means from heaven to earth. This is what it's all about. It's what Jesus' coming is all about. It's about a self-awareness of sin. How are we going to wash? How are we going to get clean? With what? By what means? We need to be able to look into our hearts, our selfishness, and say, you know, I will do a lot of things... But one thing I will not do is kneel down and wash somebody's feet. Not literally, but figuratively. Literally, maybe. But there are things and places in each of our lives. There are in mine. I know I'm not unusual. Well, maybe in some ways. But I'm not unusual more than you. There are some things that I just think, well, you know, I can't do that. Really. Jesus is saying, no. I'm going to go to the lowest place. Something so low that you can't go any lower, and I'm going to do it so that from that point, wherever you think you are, down to that lowest point, you can make the journey, you can make the trek, you can go. If I went, you can go. No excuses. Spurgeon said this, I love this, in fact I put it up on Facebook, I like it so much. That's how you really know what's going on in somebody's life, right? You know, if you really want to know what's going on deep in somebody's heart, you've got to watch Facebook because it's so profound. You know. So, if anyone thinks ill of you, Spurgeon said this, if anyone thinks ill of you, don't be angry. You're far worse than you think. You're far worse than you think. But this kind of humility that Jesus demonstrates and gives us an example of will make you More like Him. And that's the goal, you see. Trajectory, the Spirit of God hovering over chaos, over the formless and void, was to bring order and beauty and creation out of the tohu v'bohu, out of the formless and void. And when Jesus comes down, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And there's nothing made that was made that wasn't made by Him. You see, when He comes down into the world, it's a recreation. And He means to recreate us in His image. True humility. Looking at that that journey from high to low and saying, There's nothing that I won't do for the people around me. There's no service that I won't give. There's no willingness in my life to to be for you, to be out there, to sacrifice myself for you. There's nothing I won't do. I will die. That's how far I'll go. I'll die for you. Can you imagine? This posture overtook the world. And it could overtake our world today. We're so selfish. So self-centered. So posturing. Which is... Really, what Facebook is all about, and and so many other things. And it's not new just to this generation. Every generation has had their things where they have postured, and I'm better than you, and I get my meaning from being higher than you. And Jesus just goes in and he takes a nuclear shot at it and blows it all to bits and says, No, there's no, I came from heaven to earth. Now I'm sending you into the world, into the chaos, into the mess. The formless and void of other people's lives. Nothing is too low. Next thing he says is, look at verse 17. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know, I love uh, working around my house, but I've found, we live in an old house. It was born in 1955, the same year that I was born. And the house and I are kind of keeping track with each other as we degrade. And so I'm trying to keep up and fix the house and do things around the house and we get contractors and subcontractors and we just, you know, they always disappoint you and you're upset all the time at everybody and, and uh, I lose my Christianity. I become a pagan when I hire somebody. So I try to do stuff around the house myself and I've bought a few tools and I'm kind of nailing and hitting wood and doing things and mixing cement and watching it dry and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I f- discovered YouTube. Have any of you discovered YouTube? You can find out how to, you can find out how to tie your shoes on YouTube. <laughs> There's nothing you can't find out on YouTube. Everything is on YouTube. So I've i become a YouTube junkie. I'm ashamed to say it, but and I get all excited. I'm watching all these, you know, how to how to paint your windows, the frame around your windows, and fix and do. And you know, I get all excited, and I go to Home Depot and I buy, spend money, and I get stuff, and I come home and I'm tired, and I sit down and I go, I'll rest a few minutes. I'll do it later. And you just get frustrated. You know, you're frustrated. I'm frustrated all the time because if you don't get up and do it, what's all the, what's all the hubbub about, right? You got to go and do. And this happens to so many Christians. We come to church, we sit, we listen to sermons. We go, oh, wasn't that great? Oh, Chuck was so great today. We've never heard anybody that spoke words of God from heaven like he speaks. They're so amazing. And oh, my goodness, when you walk into the parking lot and whew, out one, in one ear, out the other, Right? I know how you are, because I know how I am. I mean, I do this all week, and I still have trouble holding on to it. It's because we, we hear, but we don't do. Jesus said, blessed are those that hear the Word of God and keep it. It's not enough just to hear you can become uh, like the stick figure that we used to draw. You know, in seminary, that's what we did. We drew stick figures. Kind of crazy. You're going there to graduate school to learn all these great things, and they had us draw stick figures. And one of the worst stick figures is the stick figure. Imagine a big, huge head and little, tiny body. That is people in Reformed theology. That's the sin of our tribe, if you will. Those of us that claim to be Calvinists and claim to love God and love the Bible and doctrine and we're all into that. And I am. I mean, I've devoted my life to it. But if you were to look at us in stick figure form, we'd have a great big head and little bitty body. And then you've got other people who say, oh, it doesn't matter what you, doctrine doesn't matter, doctrine is no good for nothing, doctrine divides, we don't need to spend time in the Bible too much just to find things that we really like and speak to us and make us feel good. You look at those people, in a little tiny head, and what do they have? Great big body, you know, the, you know. We need to be proportional, folks. We need to find that place where both the doctrines that we're learning, the theology that we're inculcating into our lives is finding a place where we're actually doing stuff with what we believe. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach them. We must be doers, not hearers. James said those that are hearers and not doers are deceiving themselves. They're lying. They think they're saved, and they're not. Saying, you, you're actually going home and, and, and feeling assured that somehow you're saved. And he said, you know, you really may not be. Because your actions are not matching the rest of your life. They're, out of, they're incongruent. And then Jesus says this. Look at verse 18. He says, I'm not speaking to all of you. This is where he really brings it home and puts some pressure I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. You see, our loyalty, this is something that is so incredible. This, really, listen carefully. If you get this, this is where doctrine does matter. This is where it can actually give you fuel for your life instead of just a point to argue with people about what is this business of election? What is this business of predestination? What is that all about? Chosen, being chosen by God. What is going on here? Jesus, just right in the middle, he says, I know who I'm. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know who I've chosen. He's saying, You don't come to me just willy nilly. You don't love me. I love you first. I kiss you first. I bring you, for, I come down from heaven to earth. I'm for you. I'm the trajectory. The apostle Paul said we would only we only love we only love him because he demonstrated his love towards us. The apostle John said the same thing. We love him because he first loved us. And here Jesus said, your love, your loyalty to me springs from your from my predestining love. You see the source of our very lives, our love, our loyalty to Him, is Him. Apart from that, stop and think for a minute. Just let your mind go because right here in the middle he talks about, or or next he's going to talk about Judas. He's going to be talking right to Satan himself and to 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 the embodiment of Satan. And if it weren't for God's predestining love, His divine election, His grace into your life, our destiny would be that. Not Peter. Not John. Not Thomas. Our destiny would have been Judas. Do you hear what I'm saying? We would betray Him and stay away but he has implanted imparted put into each of us a love that will hold you it's what I call sticky it's sticky love you can't touch it it's like a a Cinnabon at the airport right do they still have those at the airport you can't eat them anymore with I mean you could never eat them with your hands because you would be covered from top to bottom you know they're sticky and that's the way God's love is it gets all over you And if it's all over you, then when you reach out and you start touching other things and other people, it's going to stick to them. You know, all of us have been betrayed. I don't know all of your stories, but I know my own story. And every one of us, at some point or another in our lives, we have been betrayed. We've been let down, usually by somebody. Or maybe it's by some institution. Maybe it's your place you work. Or maybe it's a place that you uh, find your career. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. You could be, or you could be betrayed by your own expectations. Those things that, that you kind of thought, well, you know, I thought my life would go in this direction. And wow, has it not gone in that direction. It's gone this way. Or, you know, I expected 250 people in church this morning. And there's 100, you see. And we can be crushed and often we are, by those unrealized expectation. The only thing that is going to hold you in place is a God whose love is sticky. And so when we try to worm our way out, kind of like the tar baby, you remember uh, tar baby in the, what is that, the briar patch? Or, Brer rabbit in the briar patch. You, know, you, 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 get, you get covered and you can't get away. That is God's love for us. I chose you. I reached down. My trajectory was from heaven to earth and I got you and I hold you. You don't hold me. I hold you. And so for one another, each of us, we are to look at others that way and say, I will not let you go. If you push away from me, I'm going to come in closer. If you despise me, I'm going to draw nearer. If you hurt me, think of what this would do to our relationships, marriages, children, family. You hurt me. I okay I'm going to you know I get closer instead of saying you hurt me I'm going to move away from you self protection is antithetical to christianity jesus did not self protect and the allegiance to the king moves us in that direction it's costly and risky what about the new identity look at what he says in verse 20 this is remarkable whoever receives the one i send receives me Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. I know you can get lost in John's language. John talks like this and it's kind of hard to follow sometimes. Although he was using very simple language, we can can miss what he's saying. What he's saying is your identity is, is changed now. You're not who you were. If someone accepts you, they're accepting me. Think about that. You are now representing Jesus, and Jesus is representing the Father. And so he he makes this incredible mathematical equation. uh, uh, You plus me uh, equals union with me, and and me plus you equals union with God the Father. Whoever imagined such a thing? That was revolutionary. That was incredible. Union with God Himself. This is your life now. So what happens when I sin? What happens when you sin? Is that unity broken? No. Does God draw away from you when you sin? No. Because if He did, how would you get back? How would you ever repent? If you sin and God holds His nose and said, Oh my goodness, Chuck just, oh, what a thing He did. And He drew away from me, how would I get back? By my own strength? By my own power? How well have you done with that in your life so far? Pretty good? Okay, you all are better than me. I've never been able to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? How do you come back to him? Is he doing this to you to get you back ever? Or is he doing this to you, holding his arms out wide and saying, "Come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden." Now when you get back into his arms, he made to discipline you and, you know, like a child and and bring not punishment, but chastening but you're always welcome and if that's not the case then how do you ever get back if you don't have union with him our citizenship is in heaven the holy spirit has been put into our lives and into our heart so that we cry out abba father abba father A new identity. And what about finally this thing, this new glory? You know, everybody, uh, the guys and and gals that do the journey, we talk about this every year in the journey, that we're all finding our glory, our meaning, our ultimate meaning somewhere. It's fixed someplace, folks. If you're willing to go and look, you will know what it is or what they are. They may be several things. How good am I uh, at sports? How smart am I in school? How much money do I have? How good looking am I? How much power do I have in my life over other people? Do I have people's approval? Is my status uh, good? You know, if people look at me, what do they see on the outside? We all have ultimate. Are my kids perfect? Especially in church. Are my children perfect? Is my marriage exemplary? Is my uh, preaching better than anybody in the world? Is my robe uh, uh, better fitting? Uh, no, never mind. Uh, it, you know, what, what, what is that? What is that thing out there that gives you ultimate meaning? My career. If you're in the military, maybe it's your rank, where you rank, or how you doing that. I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever that thing is. If that captures your heart it becomes an idol. It becomes, functionally, it becomes your God. And so at Christmas time, Jesus comes from heaven to earth. He does servants, slaves work. He tells us, your love is not what holds you in place. My love is what's holding you in place. And then he says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Verse 31. And he'll do it at once. At once. He's completely redefining for us, folks. Think about this for a minute. This is world changing, life changing. He's he's asking you to take a look. Look what the Puritans called the inner look. Look inside. And see, what is that that really is giving me my ultimate meaning? That if it was taken away, I would lose meaning and I would want to die. What is that? And Jesus said, whatever that is, it can only be this. Otherwise, it will betray you. It will, it's a person, they will leave you. If it's a career, one day it will be gone. If it's money, someday it will be spent or taken away from you by somebody somehow. If it's your health, that too will go. If it's your children, they're going to grow up and hopefully marry other people and, and, and find and forge lives of their own. And if you're married and you, all your eggs are in the basket of marriage, one day one of you is going to watch the other get laid in the ground. Unless you both die at the same time. Do you see, the, the reality is you must find your glory somewhere else. And Jesus said, I'm going to do something that is going to be so shameful, so low, so unbelievable and so glorious that it will save the world. That it will have that much power, that much strength to save the world. And he said, this will be your glory. And here's how he does it. Look at verse 33. Here's how he says, my shame, my cross is going to be the place for you to glory. This is remarkable. Look at what he says in 33. Little children, very tender. In, in Greek, you, can't, you, can, you cannot say an endearment any, any sweeter, any more tender than this. Then he addresses these men, many of them maybe be older than him, many of him the same age as him. And he says to them, my little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, but where I'm going, you cannot go. You will seek me, but where I'm going, you cannot go. Now, let me ask you very simple. Any child in this room can answer this question. Where in this universe could you go and not find Jesus? Where? Everywhere. But where is the one place where he goes? Where is the one place He goes that no one else is welcome, that no one else gets to go? Only He gets to go to this place alone, by Himself, from heaven to earth to a place that nobody goes but Him. You'll look for me, but that place you cannot go, you cannot find me. The jaws, the mouth, the maw of hell. The one place He promises that He will go and you cannot go is into hell itself. He fought the fight Alone, his be the victor's name, we sing that amazing hymn he fought the fight alone, he tread the winepress alone, he went to the cross alone, abandoned, naked, they didn't leave a little undergarment on him, they stripped him bare, he had nothing, nothing, and on the cross, the one thing he he had left to him was his mouth his. His confession, his hope, his belief, and he cried out, My God, my God. He said, My God. It was the one thing Jesus would not let go, the one thing he would not give up. He had given up everything he had heaven above, earth beneath, every possession that he owned, everything his friends, his family, his father. Everyone abandoned Him. And the one thing He clung to, the one thing He held on to, the one thing He would not let go. My God. My God. When Christ came into the world, this is why the psalmist said this. Listen, folks. When Christ came into the world, He said this. These words are on Jesus' lips, as if you imagine this, hanging on the cross. Sacrifice and offerings you've not desired, O God, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. But I say, Behold, I come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, I have come to do your will. Folks, if He goes to this depth, if He sacrifices, washing their feet, going to the cross, clearing out every single obstacle, think of the things that, that are in your way today, right this moment, to loving and being gracious and merciful to someone else. Think of all of the reasons why. You may or may not be able to forgive them or the reasons why you're mad and angry and can't get along with the world around you. Imagine those things and see them swept away by the journey He took from heaven to earth. John Calvin said this, For in the cross of Christ, as in a the splendid theater, all the inestimable goodness of God is displayed before the whole world. In all the creatures, indeed, both high and low, the glory of God shines, but nowhere has it shone more brightly than in the cross, in which there has been an astonishing change of things, the condemnation of all men has been manifested, sin has been blotted out, salvation has been restored, and in short, the whole creation has been renewed and everything has been restored from heaven to earth. And all Jesus says on the bottom on the back of that he says I give you a new commandment love one another just as I've loved you every obstacle has been removed everyone all of them now I've gotten rid of them all love one another as I've loved you I've loved you this way can you love others can you do it I pray you will will you trust him I hope you will. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy that endures forever. Truly, there is no one like you in heaven above and on earth beneath, one that loved us so well. You've removed every obstacle. You've removed the chaos, the formless, the void from our lives so that we in turn can be united with you and bring that love to the world around us. And never... Probably never in the history of our world, Father, has love been more needed. The redeeming love of Jesus, not the syrupy and and sugary love of, of sentimentality and of Hollywood and these romantic songs, but the love of the cross. Suffering for others, dying for others. Help us, please, to do it. The world needs us. And we need you. I pray You'll do it, Father, for all of us this Christmas season, above all times of the year. Remind us of our calling and our mission. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.